Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome to a new episode of Sixers Daily, a disappointing outing for Philly, losing to a Wizards team that was missing Bradley Beal, missing Thomas Bryant, 106-103 loss. Lots of things to dissect in this one. Before we do, don't forget, subscribe to Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. You can catch us wherever you get your fix. And of course, read everything we bring at you at libertyballers.com. One of the people behind the magic you see on the website, Mr. Jackson Frank, joining me for this one. Jackson, watching this game, I had this feeling, as we've had throughout most of the season, where the Sixers are playing a team that really shouldn't be considered on their level, that they're going to find a way to pull this out. Uh, You know, Doc Rivers ended up subbing in Joel Embiid and Tyrese Maxey with about seven minutes left in the fourth quarter. The Sixers went on a bit of a run, were up by five, and then only scored two field goals over the last four minutes and 42 seconds. What went wrong, do you think, for Philly in this one at the end? Yeah, I mean, it was a it was a theme kind of persistent throughout the game. But uh, one, of course, you know, Joel didn't have the level of game offensively, especially even on defense too. Um, that you know has made him an MVP candidate, maybe the MVP, depending on who you ask and, and all that. Um, and then two is you know down the stretch is the Wizards, uh, the, the, the Sixers were closed to Matisse Thybul, and the Wizards said. We're, we're not going to guard you, Matisse. And there are ways to combat that to an extent. To, you know, Matisse has done well to to cut from kind of the short corner of the dunker spot to flash high in the middle to kind of help MB get those touches. But um, the Sixers are really low on competent guard play right now, especially with Seth Curry and Shake Milton out. Even when you factor in for Concorkmas, even when you factor those guys in, it's not a great guard rotation, you know, when they join Terry Smaxie there. Um, and so there's just not, you know, if teams are going to double and triple team, you know, Joel, there's just not a way to really – work around that Joel can make it work, right? Once Joel gets the ball, he can find cutters, you can find shooters, but if you can't get the ball to Joel in the first place, this guard, pl- this guard play and the passing around him, you know, just isn't, isn't up to par. So it was that. And then, you know, like I mentioned, Joel, you know, wasn't really, he, I wouldn't say he was a main culprit. He wasn't great defensively. He had a couple of plays late, um, at least one play where, you know, I think uh, Montrez Hill kind of got an end one on him, caught him reaching. Uh, and then late, Trez had another kind of floater, which wasn't his fault. It was, you know, I think George Niang was kind of slow navigating the screen, but also, you don't really want George Niang doing that. So it was mostly the offense, but some timely you know, defensive miscues kind of kind of buried them and allowed the Wizards to take control of this game late and then get to the point where the Sixers needed a, a desperation three that they didn't get off to tie the game at all. Uh, just so people know who, who are listening to this, Seth Curry didn't play uh, dealing with some back issues. That obviously did hurt the offensive output from the team. He averages 15 and a half for the season. Good news, though, assistant coach Dave Yeager back with the team after having that scare, health scare earlier on. Uh, so that's good news there. But Jackson, you were saying there, um, mentioning how, okay, Joel was off in this one, right? Had 27 points on 27 shots, not exactly efficient with those percentages, but we know how important he is to the squad. Tyrese Maxey had a nice outing with 22. Tobias Harris much better in the first half than he was in the second. But this has kind of been my my worry with this Sixer squad, right? Like 
we saw in the non-Joel minutes that okay, this team is struggling. You know, you know, like they can't, they're unable to, they're unable to uh get a lot of penetration from the top. And then we didn't see staggering of the minutes that Maxi and, and Joel were off the court with each other for the first five minutes of the fourth. That uh really, I, I think, hurt the Sixers because they were getting some stops defensively at that point, but were unable to capitalize on the offensive end. And also looking at this, Washington went zone for a bit there too, which has been known to give the Sixers fits throughout the season. When you're watching the offense against the zone, in your opinion, what can the Sixers be doing differently to, to counter that and at least try and get some more good looks? Because we're seeing as soon as Joel catches it, even if he's on the our, you know block or, or a couple of feet off of it, he's catching it. The double teams coming right there are the closest guy on the on the zone. And especially from the outside, they're not getting a lot of penetration into the middle. So where do you think Doc Rivers can maybe look? Because this is now not a small sample size where this was game 51. So if teams are going to do that in the playoffs, what are some ways that the Sixers can do to counter that in order to get some better looks on the offensive end? Yeah, I mean, I think, you you know, if Joel's and you want to get Joel you know, in the middle of the key there, um, that's a place that he's grown pretty comfortable operating from the last couple of years. And. I mean, he's their best playmaker, the best scorer. I mean, basically their best everything in a lot of broad, broad <laughs> yeah, categories. Yeah. <laughs> categories. Um, so I think you want to do that. I think you also want to set more screens, a thing that uh, Rick Carlo did a ton of in Dallas. And I think Jamal Mosley has brought it to Orlando since he was with, uh, with Carlo in Dallas. Is they'll set these kind of, especially if it's a 2-3, they'll set these screens right like right on the inside of those guys, right? Like, because you can still set screens against zones. Even if, even if you set a screen, that man is not going, if that defender is not going to, try and follow the ball handler, you can still create space for guys to kind of get in the middle of the zone because that's where you always want to be, right? You want to be in the middle of the zone or even if not necessarily, you just want to get there at some point in the possession because something, because defense has to react. Right. Um, so I do that. I, I think you'd probably want to keep someone roaming along the baseline. Usually it's going to be Danny green. Danny does that against set defense or man defenses anyways in the half court, but um, just someone to kind of keep that backline defense occupied to an extent. So um, those are, those would be the three big things. And then, um, you know, Doc always talks about the ball sticking and, you know, against zones. And I think that can be true at times, but I don't think the ball sticking is, is the, the leading issue. I think a lot of times it just gets stuck around the perimeter, which is, or not stuck. It gets passed around the perimeter. The ball's not sticking, right? It's, it's moving, but you want to get the ball in the heart of the zone. So screening, getting Joel in the middle there, uh, and then having someone roam along the baseline, whether it's a Furcon, whether it's even a Matisse, a Danny Green, just someone to kind of keep those guys occupied is, is important. So those would be kind of my three big things. And maybe that's something they're practicing. You know, I've been someone who's hard on doc and I'm not going to say that, like, I think he does great things against his own. Maybe they're practicing guys who aren't executing. So um, I'm sure it's a, it's a, you know, a culmination of, of things, but those would be kind of the, the three areas I feel like they could do better against, against his own. And you're right that it, it did give them issues. And um, the other thing I want to point out is that this was a tough game for Drummond, um, you know, mm-hmm. especially that, that second, that, that stint in the fourth, that third to fourth quarter, that's been a time he's, Notoriously had a lot of good games where he's turned, turned a, if you helped turn a four point deficit into a seven point lead, but Sixers gave up six points in about two minutes uh, during, you know, when he came in at the end of the third there, um, I felt like he was a little too jumpy trying to reach a few times, got caught. So that can, that can work in his favor. That's just kind of who Drummond is, right? He's going to make plays, but I felt like it worked against them. And that was kind of the, you know, the issue, the Sixers did a pretty good job there in the, the third quarter defensively and let go of the rope. And a lot of that was Drummond, you know, in his risk, risk heavy nature defensively kind of getting burned jackson the the sixers their five game win streak ends they got a bit of a tough eight game stretch coming up here dallas chicago phoenix okc obviously stinks but they play the thunder in between there cleveland boston milwaukee at minnesota when you're looking at at seven of those eight games for sure because even boston's starting to to come around a little bit in the uh in the eastern conference but looking at looking at that 
stretch of games. Like if the Sixers play the way they did in this one, how do you anticipate they would do against upper echelon teams? Because looking at this from a, like a bigger picture um, outlook is okay. We know how good Joel Embiid has been right over, especially for the last couple of months, he was named player of the month in the NBA for January coming off his, his performance in December as well. Average 34 points, 11 boards. We know how good he is. We know he can do it consistently, but my concern comes with this. You're not going to be playing teams like the wizards and in the, in the playoffs, right? You're not, you're going to be having tougher co competition, uh, tougher opponents all the way through better coach teams, more teams that are deeper with talent. And when you're looking at, at where games, Joel struggles. And again, this is all hypothetical. I'm just saying, looking forward, even to the playoffs is Let's say he has one of these shooting nights where it's, it's 27 points on, on 27 shots and it's a do or die game seven. Like this is where I, I think the Sixers are going to get themselves into problems when they play these upper upper echelon teams is they need somebody to be able to consistently step up, right? And be able to deliver like where if, if Joel's off in a game seven, who's going to be able to step up and, and make some plays? We're hoping it's Maxi. He's young, might be a little bit too much pressure on him. Tobias Harris, although he rebounded with a, a better January than the rest of his season, still inconsistent and can't really rely on upon him to maybe deliver in those situations. So what I'm asking you is basically if the Sixers are in situations like this, where Joel doesn't have it, especially on the offensive end. And you mentioned he struggled a bit defensively today too. looking at, at this, how would the Sixers try and get out of this jam? Like, do you think there's any scenario with this roster that if Joel's playing like this, they're going to be able to compete with the best teams in the NBA regularly, because looking at the NBA strength of schedule going into this one, the Sixers now have the sixth hardest strength of schedule for the rest of the season. Yeah. I, I think, I mean, the reality is no, they're, they're not going to compete if Joel plays like that. And that's, that's because they don't have a ton of margin for and, and most teams don't when you, when you're a team like the Sixers who are, you know, legitimate contender for the number one team in conference. And I'm not saying that I think this team as constructed is like one of the three best teams in the East, but they're right there. Um, you don't have a lot of margin for it, but the Sixers especially, like they're just, they're, I mean, they should have won this, like they win this game, right? Like they should have won this game, not in the sense of like, oh, they were wrong, but like if they play up to the level they've played at when Joel's on the floor, they win this game more often than not. Uh, but but still, the reality is like, they're still missing guys here. Right? They're, they're down a shake. They're down a Furcon. They're down a Seth. I'm not saying that like that overrides being without Bradley Beal and Thomas Bryant, but um, you know, they don't have a lot of margin for error right now. And so when Joel doesn't play like that and you're playing, you have to play Miles Powell four minutes and you have to play Tobias Harris 41. Like you're just in a tough spot. And, and that was, the, that was the issue is tonight is that, yeah, Joel wasn't great. I think he was okay for his standards, um, but Tobias wasn't good. Tobias, to, to Tobias's credit, he'd actually been pretty dang good, especially the last four games. I think I tweeted about it, but I think he was having like 24 and eight on like 67% true shooting, taking more threes, being quicker with decisions. That didn't happen tonight. He dribbled a lot, got into tough spots, uh, wasn't good defensively. I don't think he's really been much better defensively over this stretch, but um, it's kind of magnified when the shots aren't going in efficiently. So um, the short answer is no. When Joel plays like that, they don't have a margin for error. And, um, you know, like, you know, Maxi was good tonight. I thought like, and you're not saying otherwise, but like, you know, that, that's the issue is you need, you need at least two and a half to two and a half of those, the big three of, you know, Joel, Ty Tyrese and, and Tobias to, to play well. And you had about one and a half tonight. Uh, and if you throw Seth in there, you usually need three. And so, uh, you know, three to three and a half of them to win, win games against good teams. And uh, that wasn't, wasn't the case tonight. Granted the Wizards, you know, aren't a great team, but um, it's gonna it's gonna be tough. They're not gonna win many games over this eight game eight game span if if Joel plays like that. And um, the good the good news is Joel doesn't play very often. Um, so uh, they're gonna be pretty competitive for the most part. But he also needs more help from his role players. And 
he needs more help from the coaching staff. Like I mentioned at the top, like you can't have, you can't have minutes when, when all three of Seth, Tyrese and, and Joel aren't there. And you can say that, yeah, Seth didn't play tonight, but that, that means the coaching staff has to adapt, adapt to the, the minutes rotation. So um, a lot of, a lot of things go into it, but they just don't have a margin for error um, when Joel played at that. And, you know, it's kind of the lack of high level talent around him, the the talent that he generally elevates. And then also the fact that you know, Doc's done some good things this year, but he's still not a coach that, you know, is, is a guy that you really feel like wins you games very often. Yeah. He's terrible at making adjustments. I think that's been obvious over the last, you know, 10 years, especially with the stints, like I said, with, with the Clippers that uh, his lack of uh, adjustments and his stubbornness when it comes to making those has been frustrating. Uh, Jackson, I wanted to jump into some bigger picture stuff as well, uh, rebounding off this 106-103 loss that the Sixers had to the Wizards. We'll do that after a short break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Jackson, we're talking a little bit before the break there about how, you know, Joel finally struggled in a game that he couldn't just will the team to a win with his offensive performance. Looking at this, if you were an NBA coach and you're playing the Sixers in the playoffs, let's just say hypothetically, Daryl Morey doesn't really make a move that addresses the needs the Sixers have at the trade deadline, which is coming up on February 10th. When when you're looking at this, how would you defend Joel? Because we've seen teams be successful at sending a, a double team right when he gets the ball in his hands, either at the in the high post or at, at the block. He's been much better at, at passing out of the double teams. We've seen that part of his game grown exponentially over the last couple of years. Is that something you would look at doing too, to say, hey, all right, let's see if if, if the rest of these guys, like Matisse Thibel, is he going to be scared to take those open looks from the corner, if Tobias Harris? like how, how would you come across, or how would you go about, pardon me, defending Joel in the playoffs if you knew you were going to be up against him in a best four out of seven? Yeah. So I think, I think what I would look to do is, you know, this is obvious, but you, you want to prevent him from maybe getting a touch, right? Because as you mentioned, he's way better against double teams. He says, if Joel gets the ball and off a good offensive possession, whether it's a make or not, is probably going to result for the Sixers. And so what I would look to do is you'd have, if you have a, if you have a long rangey wing, which a lot of playoff teams do, or a physical one, I would front him with Joel. And um, we saw that with the Clippers, uh, Nicholas Batum did that a lot. And granted he had a great game against the Clippers, but um, it also helped that the Clippers went small for, for stretches in that game. I don't know. I don't remember how much Ivica Zubac played, but, um, you know, wasn't, wasn't a ton if my memory serves. Apologies if I'm wrong there. And then I would look to have a kind of a, a bigger, like a, a traditionally sized center on the backside there shooting help. And if I wanted to, I could even send a third defender who's maybe Matisse's guy um, to kind of be, be even more insurance because the Sixers don't have a lot of good passing, right? Like if you, if Joel's trying to get the ball in the left block or the free throw line, the two places he loves to operate most often, um, you don't have the Sixers don't have a guy who makes that skip past the corner or the opposite wing, and they don't have a guy who's besides Maxi who's going to be able to really, really burn that attacking off the catch or taking a spot up three. Danny Green at times, Tobias when he decides to take those threes, but we know Tobias isn't super comfortable taking contested threes, even if he kind of ebbs and flows there. So I would really just be be kind of I would be selling sending as much defensive attention as possible with someone fronting and shading on the backside, taking advantage of Matisse's lack of offensive skills 
And then also applying ball pressure to her house the ball, because you're looking at a guy like Maxi, who's still not great with his handle. He can do things at times, but you know, we've seen him struggle against traps and hedges. Um, Tobias isn't great there. Shake isn't great. Furcon's not great. So um, that would be what I'll be trying to do is, you know, that as much as possible. But then obviously the counter is we've seen Joel just say, screw it. I'll be, I'll play point guard and, you know, <laughs> just shoot. do it all myself. Right? Yeah. Shoot all these shots <laughs> off the dribble and whatnot. But um, yeah, I think there are clear worries about how this team is currently constructed uh, in a playoff setting um, just because it's so reliant on Joel and there's just not a lot of guys who can make it easier on him. And um, I don't know what the solution is, you know, <laughs> um, beyond the obvious of, you know, making, you know, kind of cashing your chips in with, <laughs> with the Ben Simmons thing, but as currently it's constructed, I feel that it, a, a good defensive coach could really give this team issues despite how awesome Joel is. Jackson, when you're looking at some of the other adjustments the Sixers could make, and, and you tweet about this during the game, um, Matisse Eibel, basically, like you said, non-factor at the, at the offensive end. And, and you mentioned, you know, he has done a, a better job at least trying to, to make the right read, get a backdoor cut for an easy dunk. Uh, still a little bit trigger shy in terms of, of catching and shooting almost right away, confidently outside the three-point line. Is there any guys you're looking at at the deadline that might be a good fit in terms of being able to mask that, that, that if, uh, you know, Joel is double team, that they're not, maybe not going to be at the defensive level that, that Matisse is because he's just really good as a, as not only a team defender, a one-on-one defender, but when you're looking at it in terms of the uh, available guys that might be a, a veteran, might be somebody that, that they can pluck for a future asset. Is there anybody you might have your eye on that, that you would look at be like, okay, Maury should try and make a play for that guy as, as a cheap uh, alternative to, to bring in someone. Yeah. I think not that you're saying it, but I do think it's worth like Matisse was pretty solid tonight. He was key in holding Spencer Newberry to four of 16 shooting. Um, the issue is just that like they rely on too much for defense right now. Mm-hmm. Right. Because they just don't have a lot of other perimeter options, but um, some guys that I like, you know, Kenrick Williams in Oklahoma city, I think makes sense. I think it's reported that Kenrick wants to stay in OKC. So hopefully that he, he can, but I know that thunder may be looking to trade him for, for a first round pick. I wouldn't hate the idea of the Sixers moving this year's first round pick. I understand that maybe long-term it can give you some issues. If you're going to land, you know, a, a star creator or something in the off season, um, depending on how things shake out there. Um, I think I like Justin holiday makes sense. The Pacers lost to the magic tonight. So they're, and it was well known that they're looking to kind of shift in, maybe shift into a different direction. Um, even some guys in the wizards, honestly, like, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know financially how feasible some of these things are because part of the issue for the Sixers is they don't have a lot of kind of mid-sized contracts, right? It's a lot of guys on rookie deals or maxes, and that can that can make it tough. But a Kyle Kuzma, a Contavious Caldwell Pope, I think a couple of guys there make some sense. Um, and so those would be four targets for me. I'm sure that I could think of more. Um, you know, if I looked at it, you know, kind of just looked at how the, the shape of the, the shape of the NBA is right now. But those four guys come to mind, especially the first two who I think are gettable and. Um, again, I have to look at kind of the finances behind it, but you just need a guy, you just need a player who can give you kind of at least some sort of plus defensive impact and not be the, not be so, what's the, what's part of phrase? Matisse needs a very creative and optimal context offensively to thrive. And to his credit, he's done pretty well in that as of late, but you want a guy who can just kind of plug and play, sit in the corner, shoot threes, attack closeouts, make the extra pass. And, um, that's not really the type of offensive player Matisse is, and that can, really kind of complicate matters for Joel and everyone else offensively, despite everything he does defensively. 
Jackson, the final couple of questions for you and, and looking at this as well. And you mentioned, you know, guys like Kyle Kuzma on a relatively cheap deal. Again, probably would take somebody like Danny Green to to trade for him. But he had a nice game in this one, really kept the, the Wizards in it with his shooting 24 points, four or six from deep. But looking at this again from a, a bigger picture thing, and, and we're going to talk, I'm sure, a ton about Ben Simmons. So I'll save you that right now. Uh, we don't have to discuss anything going on in the rumor mill there. But I was just thinking about this too. Let's just say a team is willing to take on two more years uh, you know, roughly 75 million combined for Tobias Harris after this season, but only if you attached a piece like Tyrese Maxey in order to get somebody like Bradley Beal. I'm just, you know, again, hypothetically out of Washington, I don't think that would work. But looking at this, if, if a team is willing to absorb Toby's deal, but it comes at a price of Tyrese Maxey for a proven all-star type guy, would you hesitate at all to do that if you were Daryl Morey? Or do you believe more in Maxey's development that, again, we're going to look at keeping this guy for another five, ten years if, we, if, we, if we're able to? I guess my question would be, would this would this be entirely independent of a Ben Simmons deal? Yeah, like yeah and, that, and that's what – so, I mean, I don't know if you had a chance to read it. Uh, during the game, Rich Hoffman, Sixers beat writer for The Athletic, uh, tweeted out an article that he did with, uh, with John Hollinger. Again, I, that was the first I had seen of it. Uh, it was during the game, but they basically kind of went over some of these scenarios. And again, looking at this from uh, a Ben thing, and I'll try and explain myself a bit in order to give you a, maybe a better um, way of how I'm asking is so you can answer the question. But like looking at this, like let's just say hypothetically, okay, Maury's like, screw this, man. I, you know, I'm I'm not taking any of these deals uh, that that will help us maybe in the in the in the short run in terms of of trading Ben for maybe not the exact package that he wanted to, but another team comes around and says, all right, you're going to hang on to Ben. Maybe we're willing to take uh, Tobias Harris off you. And if you can get us a future first round pick and Tyrese Maxey, you can get a player of the level of Damian Lillard. And again, I, I'm not saying that that's even remotely close to happening or the trailblazers would entertain that. I'm just saying, is that something you would look at doing just given how good Maxey has been uh, throughout this season and, and continues to get better and better? As you mentioned, he still has to get better at maybe reading some of the little nuances of the game, especially as a one. But when you're looking at it uh, from that perspective, is that something you might entertain doing? Because to me, you're looking at this, and we've talked about this a bit before, and, and I know a few other people have on, on the pod as well, is that, dude, you got Joel Embiid playing at this level. Nobody in the Eastern Conference is really pulling ahead. Like Milwaukee, Brooklyn, these teams aren't looking like what we thought they would be, these juggernauts, you know, before the season started and, and, and getting into October. But now you're looking at this, like things are pretty much all wide open. And again, I don't know if the Sixers will be able to sustain the level that they're playing at, at 31 and 20 through 51, just because they're going to have a much tougher schedule over the last 31 games of the season. But looking at it like this, like, is this something you would, you would consider doing if it meant getting an all-star or getting a star level guy to play with Joel, but we're also going to be hanging on to Ben to maybe make another deal in the off season. I don't think I would. I just, I, I just think Maxi is, is showing so much promise. Like he's already a better player than he was at the start of the year. And he was already a massively better player than he was at the you know, in game seven of, of the Hawks series. Like his passing isn't perfect. And he still has to kind of figure out, he has to kind of entertain the idea of passing more when he really gets going full speed. But like his passing is better, like notably than it was the start of the year. I think his defensive activity and awareness is better, even if he's still kind of can get lost with all the, all the complexity of that stuff, especially off the ball and kind of the different screen coverages. But like, I just think he's too good to, to give up. I'm not saying he's untouchable. I'm not like, by no means am I saying that, but I just think he's too good to, to just say, okay, we're going to hold on. Like if you're, if you're not going all the way in, if you're saying we're going to go, we're going to trade Max, but we're not going to trade Ben Simmons. Like I just can't get behind that. I just don't think it makes sense. So I just like, he's, he's too good and he's going to continue to get better. 
Um, I think, I mean, I think you're legitimately looking at a guy who, and I'm not, I know we're trying to focus on this year, but again, if we're not, if we're not trading Ben, then we can't talk about all about this year. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, I think you're looking at a guy who in a year from now could be someone that we're like, we're saying, does he get into the, like, is he an all-star reserve? And I'm, maybe that sounds a little hyperbolic because like, he's not, he's more of a, a, a starter, well, a player, a solid starter, but like, like, I don't think that's, that's unreasonable to think that ne- next year at this time, we're wondering is he is he one of those reserves? And it's a tough like there are a bunch of really good young guards in the East, but I, I just think he's gotten so much better from where he was when he when he joined the Sixers a year and a half ago that you just can't you just can't trade him if you're not going to be fully committed in terms of in terms of the moves you make and all the avenues you have to upgrading the talent around Joel and company. Yeah, I, I love what I've loved what we've seen from Maxi. I'm with you on that. that if Daryl Morey has has come out and said recently in his radio interview that hey, look, you know we're looking at not only maximizing this season, but maximizing the next three, four with Joel as a centerpiece of the, of the offense. And if you're looking again, long run, I would be like, yeah, why would I ever want to trade Tyrese Maxey? Uh, final question for you, Jackson, looking at this, the rotation, Isaiah Joe, I'm liking what we've seen from him, you know, lately, especially with, with some of the backcourt guys and shake Milton, uh, Ferk obviously missing this one. We talked about Seth Curry, but looked okay. 25 minutes. Uh, played 11 points, shot three or five from deep, looking a little bit more comfortable in terms of the spacing on the offense. Has he done enough to maybe jump up into getting more regular minutes in your opinion, or is he still going to be behind Furk and, and Shake Milton? Obviously Seth Curry, but Furk and Shake once once they get back to the lineup. Yeah, I think it's tough because you know you could the, the logical thing is yeah, like play him over Furk. And I don't necessarily disagree, but like given how few ball handlers the Sixers have, like the, the mere fact that Shake or excuse me, Furkon is a better ball handler by a decent margin than Isaiah Joe kind of necessary, like kind of by necessity, you need him to play. And I get that Furcon struggled a lot, but I think if this team's at full strength outside of Ben, I would definitely consider giving Isaiah Joe a run over Furcon just to see what it's, it's like, right? Because when you, if you get shake back and you have Seth and you have Tyrese and you have Joel and Tobias, you've got enough guys who can, you know, handle the ball to an extent, right? Like you don't need Furcon to do that that much. And Joe has the deep range. He's a better defender than Furcon. Like he's physically gets over screens. He loves trying to draw charges. He's a pretty smart team defender. Um, good hands has a deep range, a quick trigger. I just, I just think he makes more sense with this team at full strength, but I do understand in the, in the interim until shake gets back and, you know, whatever's going on with Seth, who's, you know, been dealing with some ailments um, that maybe Furcon has more appeal there, but, I think that Joe is worth a run, but at the same time, he's got to hit shots, right? Like he's, he's hit in the last couple of games, but he came into to Wednesday's game shooting about 32% from three. I believe in Isaiah Joe. Like, I think he's going to be a good shooter. People who read my work and follow me for a while know that, but you know, still guys only shot 34 and a half percent from three for his career. So um, the, the jumper's got to be there, but I do think it can, I do think it can be. So um, I, I would enjoy seeing you know, him get a little more run, but um, he, he got some time early in the year and wasn't able to knock down shots. So, um, it seems simple to say, just put the ball in the hoop and you know, you'll, you'll fit well in this team, but, um, he doesn't do enough other things well that you can kind of overlook it. You know, he's not, I mean, he's not a Matisse. He's not even a Danny on defense. So, um, definitely a guy you can trust on defense in certain aspects, but, um, I would definitely give him a look, but I understand why they're, why kind of the context and the health of this team right now complicates that. And it's not just a surefire. Yes, because he fits well with Joel when he hits threes. Well, the good news is Jackson, again, bigger picture, Sixers are 31 and 20, a game and a half out of the top spot as a time at the time we're recording this in the Eastern Conference, uh, still a game and a half up on Brooklyn for the division lead. 
And we only have a week left as of tomorrow for the NBA trade deadline, which means we don't have to talk about any more hypotheticals. What might happen with Ben Simmons? Uh, I'm hoping that the Sixers do at least try and make a move if it's not the Ben Simmons deal that everybody would like to see. I think, again, I'm, I'm, I'm more 60-40 that a deal doesn't happen and we're going to have to wait until the offseason to, to see that come together. But also looking at it that I, I do think Daryl Morey, not to say he has to give up the farm or, or make a, a big move in order to try and appease Joel Embiid and the fans and saying, well, don't waste this year, but at least try and acquire a ball handler, a 3 and D wing, somebody who can come a little bit cheap that, that can at least elevate the Sixers' chances. Might not be by much, but at least elevate their chances to mask some of the glaring holes that I think obviously we can see, but other teams around the NBA as well. So that's something that, that we have another week or so to dissect. And then after that, we're going to be like, all right, this is the squad they're rolling with. So <laughs> we won't have to talk about it anymore. Uh, that'll wrap up this episode. Before I do end things, don't forget, subscribe to the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. You can catch us wherever you get your fix. And of course, check us out at libertyballers.com. Also, just a heads up, we're going to be doing tons of stuff on deadline day, some Twitter spaces, some live streams at the Sixers do uh, end up any making deals. Jackson, you'll be a part of those with us if, if you get some time on that day, correct? Yeah, I'll be around. All right, we're looking forward to that. And also, as I mentioned, Jackson, Paul Hudrick, Steve Lipman, Harrison Grin, the entire crew, as you covered at libertyballers.com as well.